welcome to the Music Relish Podcast. I'm here, my name is Perry, and we're here with Lou and Mark, and tonight we're going to be talking about a couple of great bands. One of them is R.E.M., and the other one is Wilco. And we're also going to be talking about a great guitar player, Mike Bloomfield. So we hope you can join us. Thank you. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. What's happening? How's it going? going? All good here. All good here. All right. And you both sound nice and good. And um, so who wants to, uh, we're going to talk tonight about R.E.M., Wilco, a couple of great bands that we all love. Absolutely. There's no question about that. And uh, who wants to start in? I'll, I'll chime in with some R.E.M. Okay. They were, um, I think they're at a point now where they're not forgotten, but they have their place. But there's, there's something in the way they, you know, they ended in 2011, you know, they, they disbanded. Um, and, but you know, they, they've kind of quietly drifted away and I, I hope their importance does not get lost. And what, you know, making actual alternative music, they put a face on it. You know, they were one of the, one of the first alternative bands that w- we got to see, rise from obscurity to not obscurity um you know and and do it in a way that they were well respected you know uh it's been said Kurt Cobain said they treated their fame like saints you know um but they they were they were a good band and they you know they became a favorite band and became a very successful mainstream band uh we got some pops and buzzes over there you guys okay sounding good on my end I'm okay absolutely (laughs) anyway so my first exposure to REM was just, I heard um, uh, their first single, Radio Free Europe, on the radio. I was just dialing around the stations in my car, and I heard this, you know, something just sounded different. And it sounded so simple, but it was so catchy, you know, it stuck in your head. And uh, I'm getting some interference over here. <laughs> it was a great, and it was a great single, by the way, yeah. too. Yeah, it was, it was. And, you know, from there, you know, I discovered uh, their third album was the first one I got, Fables of the Reconstruction. The album they all seemed to hate that was recorded in England, and it was just a bad time for the band. But I thought it made a pretty, pretty good record. Um, and it was, a, it was a great, good record, even though that's not one of their best, considering. It was a good record nonetheless, and it was a good one to get introduced to the band, I thought. And so I took the step backward, got the earlier stuff, and moved forward, you know, and... But, uh, and that was the Joe Boyd production, right? Life's... Re- uh... Why Fable, fa- no, no Fable. fables of the yeah yeah that, that was Joe Boyd who produced Fairport Convention and uh and other things, but uh, yeah. I, uh, and and well, you said you went backwards from there, right? So you know there would be reckoning and mur- murmur, of yeah. course. Right. I, yeah, I think I, I heard um um South Central Rain. I heard that in the radio, you know, and I was a, wasn't a fan, such a fan then. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's the band. I heard Radio for Europe. That's REM. Um, I didn't know what album that came from, though. So, I, I but I didn't get Reckoning until after I got Murmur. So I went from fa- uh, Fables to Murmur to Reckoning, and then to Chronic Town. When the, and they all just were, were great records. You know, a lot of people are, I know some of you. I know you and our friend in Knoxville are big fans of Reckoning. I am too. But even though it's a kind of a rough production, there's something about it. I just don't like the sound of it. But I like the songs a lot. There are some great songs in there. Yeah, I, I think what, what I love about Reckoning and and uh, and so, 
probably does is to me it's the low fidelity of it i just really like it hmm. and the fact that you know i i could probably play all the songs on the record <laughs> <laughs> we like what we can play you know yeah and you know we're all about the same age too as those guys too and they may have had something to do with it as well yeah it's the same influences and you know we we did a we cut our first little uh a little EP or whatever we did. And, you know, some of those songs have an REM influence, a couple in particular. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. It, 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 and, you know, that, that's my cringeworthy, uh, that's my cringeworthy song that we've written, you know. Well, uh, but like on Fables of the Reconstruction, I mean, isn't Begin to Begin on there? Uh, yes, it is. I believe so. And, and, you know, you and I used to love to play <laughs> that song, right? Well, that, well, that showed REM had, had a rock and roll side, just like Pretty Persuasion. Um, and it still sounds good today. It really does. It still does. Yeah. So, Mark, what was your first exposure? Mark's a little well, younger than we. Yeah, I am yeah. really late to REM. <clears throat> I missed all their albums up to document. Didn't really hear them. And I was working at CPI in Hillsdale making cassettes. And uh, I had a friend who was a real metalhead. He had a band. And, uh, you know, he was he was a professional metal musician. But one day he came in and he said, you got to hear Orange Crutch. It's a great fucking song. I remember he said that. And yeah. I was like, oh, man, I love it. And, of course, it was all over MTV. And that put them on my radar. Um, and then, of course, Out of Time comes out. And Losing My Religion is like, everyone hates it because it's a big hit. But I loved it. It's that a great was, song. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's like, you know, if you can have a pop song, that's going to be a huge hit. That's that's the kind of song. Yeah. Um, then I went. I didn't really go back. I didn't listen to their stuff. I kind of lost touch with them. But then what automatic, actually, I got to say, Automatic for the People came out. I was in an RCA record club. So it was the selection of the month. And because I didn't send the card back, I got the CD. And I loved it because I love that they went kind of acoustic on part of it. And that album yeah. really resonated with me. That hit me. I was like, that's a great album. And then, you know, through the years, they were doing, you know, What's the Frequency, Kenneth? That was, you know, a and I kind of dropped off the radar the last when I was I was working in um, Bridgeport, Connecticut. So I had this huge drive and I kind of lost track in the 90s. I dropped out of new music. I remember hearing uh, the new R.E.M. Ebo the letter and I heard it and I was like, eh, it didn't hit me at the time. You know, me neither. <laughs> yeah. But um, you're like it took years. I think at Perry, I was coming to the laundromat and you start just like with the other band we're going to talk about. You started telling me about R.E.M., and that's when I kind of went back and I that's, you know, I listened to their stuff and I'm like, holy shit, before uh, before they did Orange Crush, they were better. You know, they were great. <laughs> and Mark, Mark, by the way, Perry, Perry told me it's a textile maintenance facility. It's not a laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> and we all worked hard for textile. Actually. <laughs> So when, when I went back and listened, like begin to be, begin to begin, begin to begin, I can't say it. I'm on my second glass of wine. That's a great fucking song. I mean, it's just so good. So I'm, I'm not a deep REM fan. Like I don't know as much as anybody else, but my album that got me back into them really was um, after it came out. But when they put out reveal that album hit me, that was a really moody. I don't know. I just can't put my finger on it, but it's it's a summer it's a summer record. That's how oh, they described it. Yeah, and uh, you're going to be a star all the way to Reno. That yeah. that's like great. You know, I can I can't stop listening to that song. Um, that's yeah. funny that you say it's a summer record because um, 
I always like when I heard REM's reveal, it reminded me of KD Lang's Invincible Summer with a little bit of electronica, little things in there, and like, wow, they're really they are great summer records. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the whole sound that was a um, that was kind of a, a, a little return to form, you know, that the um, all the way to Reno, and there's another song that's a very rem type song in that record that sugar cane that tastes so good yeah i can't, I can't uh, imitation of life yeah yeah um, two two I, I said i said those are rem songs you know and if that's your sound you know i, I to be in that position i well i would crank out one of those every couple albums just to give people something that they do like for a diehard fan because those are the catchiest yeah. of rem songs you know yeah and um, you know what it's funny towards the end one of their singles is going to be Until the Day I Die. One of my top 10 favorite songs of all time is when they put out that Accelerate album, Man Size Wreath. I can't, mm. I could play that song a hundred times in a row and love it. Just the fact that Michael Stipe gets odious conceit into a song mm. in the lyrics. That's amazing. It's like Toto with Africa. They were able to, the Kalahari and rhyme song words that. Like when you get a big word into a song, it's <laughs> great. But they, such, to me, that's like, I love it. I, it may not be a true REM type song, but Man Size Wreath, love it. Just can't stop listening to it. That that's a really good um, REM record, actually. That that's yeah. that, that's their next to last record. That they put that in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um, someone someone brought me a copy of that. I said, "Wow, this was a this is a good record." Uh, the drumming by the late Bill Riflin is great on it. By the way, mm. he became their kind of in guy, their new drummer guy and touring guy. But you know, he had an extensive background. He's known as a drummer for Ministry. Um, oh yeah, but, yeah, and a bunch of other stuff. The guy's heavy; he can play really heavy. But um, he's he the one. He's the one that came right right after um, Barry quit, right? Uh, I believe. No, that, that was that, that was Joey Wanker. Oh, Joey Wanker. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> the, the famous producer's son, correct? No, my father owns the record company. <laughs> my dad owns recently, the record uh, company. I recently saw Michael Stipe interviewed. And uh, he was said it was unusual how what was the record that had um, losing my religion out of time, out of time. And he said, you know, it's like so unusual that shiny, happy people is on the same record. Like, how could that be? <laughs> <laughs> OK, I, I played I, I played shiny, happy people on my Sunday morning gig a couple of times, you know, and it's funny. I said, well, how are we going to do the beginning? You know, that it's like a waltz time thing. And then it goes into the main body of the song. But I'll tell you this, you know, people got up and they and they clapped on the one and three, and but they danced, you know. So it it was funny playing that song after knowing <laughs> how they feel about it, you know. But being an REM fan, I said, you know, I got to play an REM song, you know. So it, you know, the good and bad, you know. And you know what's funny? Um, I got to my dad worked in uh, Woodstock at the bank, and he was able to get me a tour of um, Bearsville Studios. Nice. And, um, when I toured it, and I, I got to see everything, and I. The room that was used as a vocal room that many in the 70s, some R&B groups had used. Um, oh, you're going to kill me. Who's the bass player? Uh, Mike Mills. Mike Mills. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm crucified now. They, <laughs> they said to me that that was his favorite room for recording. And they did, I believe, out of time, at least part of it was done at Bearsville. So, so yeah. the, the engineer clapped. And I when he clapped, you hear the, uh, the, 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 uh, the reverb. Then when Shiny Happy People came out, I listened to the bass and I'm like, yeah, that was in that room. So cool. <laughs> just really nice organic. Cause he played a lot of upright bass uh, around that time too. He wasn't doing just electric bass. He was wow. incorporating everything. Cool. 
Well, I've got a I've got a go-to REM song. Like, you know, when I listen to music, if I'm gonna listen to REM, first I have a go-to song or a song or two that I that I always go to before I get into it. And one of them for me is Star 69. I just I just, <laughs> I just go there and now I'm into, you know, then I'm gonna listen more and more and more to other things. But do you guys have a go-to REM song that uh you just always it's always a great song for for to listen to? One I've been I've been kind of singing around the house is Man on the Moon. Wow. How about yeah. you, Mark? Man size wreath. I play it. That's my car <laughs> song. It's a blasting song. That fucking guitar in it, man. Holy shit. That's a great <laughs> song. Turn on the fire. Oh, just that chorus. It's just so good, you know. That that was the album uh, some critics said they, they rediscovered guitars. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. big yeah. way. <laughs> so when Perry and I started playing together and writing songs together, they were definitely a big influence, among others, you know. But, um, you know, if you look at that whole jangle thing, that's, that's part of the New Jersey Hoboken scene too, right, Perry? You know, the yeah, bongos. And, oh, absolutely. You yeah. Know, and I would say even the, even the feelies, the great, the great, great, great feelies. Uh, where are they from, North Heldon or Heldon? Or... Heldon, New Jersey. Heldon, yeah. New Jersey, yeah. They, they were a local band, but they, damn, they were good. And I think they got back together. But, um, they are. They're still. They're still together. Yeah. Absolutely. I yep. took an. I took an exit ramp to nowhere there. But uh, no, that jangle. That jangle sound. You know. But then even REM got to a point where you know they said you know, they can't jangle all the time. But and you know, yeah. No, you go ahead, Lou. The mandolin. Um, when Document came out, that was '97. That was their big. You know, for people who may not be uh, the REM fans that we are, that was the record that broke. That made them in America. That was they gradually climbed up that. When Document came out, that pushed them over the edge. The one I love was their first top ten single. Yeah, that was big. That was big. And it was oh, big. by the way, that, work that, song that's, that's huge. Finest work song. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's funny now you mentioned that, Perry. Those are songs. Those are go-to songs for me. Uh, Finest work song is one of my favorites. But, uh, but yeah, but, it, uh, but I remember the Rolling Stone interview when they hit the top ten. Uh, they were talking about him in a tour bus, and Peter Buck just bought. He says a mandolin. And that's all you heard about it. And it ended up popping up on the next record and on uh, green and subsequent records too. losing my religion. That's a, it's a mandolin song. Well, well, Mike Mills said that Peter got tired of being a guitar God. How would a guitar, you know, isn't that funny? Peter Buck would probably laugh at the idea of being considered a good, but he'd probably like it. He's a rock star. Well, you know, I bet you they never, they they never consider if you ask any of them, I'm a musician. I'm a musician. Yeah, oh, they, they consider themselves artists, but I th- I think they know. Was it was that a song from um, All the Way to Reno? <laughs> you you know what you are. You're gonna be a star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I um, mean, yeah, there's a touch of that. You know, we watch Michael, but they're hum- they they maintain some humility. But you watch Michael Stipe, we watched him go from this almost neurotically shy mumbler really you know if you look at it like it was like the marlon brando of rock into a guy that learned how to become a really good front man and unusual you know um, yeah I, I said i recently saw him uh that the, the band interviewed and peter uh I, I said last week peter buck was saying he's the only one that's not embarrassed of hmm. losing my of rather shiny happy people <laughs> losing my religion and um you know, the video that came along with it was a huge, became a huge success. Yeah. And they were, I don't know if they like were on the Grammys or some award show or something that everyone was watching. 
Yeah. And Michael Stipe said the next day, I guess he was living in New York City. The next day, he said, everyone, everyone stopped him on the street. And he, he was recognized by everyone the very next day. Wow. Because well, of he, my religion. Well, actually, they won, they won a Grammy for that song. And I think they won the Grammy for a best video. So I think they, that, like you said, yeah. They, yeah so that, that was it. They probably played it on the show. I didn't see And it, it was the very next day. He, everybody recognized him. That's when, that's when he realized he was really famous. That's he said, and he goes, I didn't mind it. He goes, I don't, I didn't mind it at all. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I yep. think, I, I, like I said, the way he did it too, you know, he, he managed to maintain a lot of privacy about his private life. And there was all the, remember the AIDS rumors going around, you know, which wasn't true. Yeah. Um, but, you know, pre pretty cool, pretty interesting guy, you know. Um, they said he lived in uh, lower Manhattan in 9 11. He said he saw it. We had these on this huge high rise, and uh, they they wrote I think a song on Around the Sun had something to do with like leaving New York. It was like yeah, leaving New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. leaving New York. Yeah, from their worst album, <laughs> Around you the Sun is a dud. It's, it's, do you think so? It. Because I, it's funny. I I, I researched uh, REM, and I love like my thing when I research a group's albums. It's not Wikipedia. It's I go to Amazon, and I read the reviews. And you got a lot of people apologizing, saying some say it's their worst album, but it's good. I've never listened to it. So, you, Lou, you think it's a dud, huh? It's it, it, there's some there's some decent songs on. It. There's some ideas of decent songs. At my most beautiful is it's a very Beach Boys song. That is probably one of the best things on the record. Um, but but I, I, it's, it's weak. And they even said uh, Peter Buck said we forgot what we were a band. We forgot what kind of band we were. And but they did that. And you know that's one of five i think you know they did five post bill berry records well no actually let, let's do a, let's do a run down here okay hey guys give me your opinion here all right rm mark i think you know murmur their first record i think it's a classic do you think uh, perry do you agree absolutely classic okay. uh reckoning is a great record i admit it you guys um fables? i love it i love it what do you think of fables perry uh i love maps and legends and songs like that you, you like I, stuff like that i do um mark are you are you familiar with fables it's got a uh, can't they, can't get there from here. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, oh, that was that was a hit. That was a minor hit for them. Actually. Yeah, you know what, Lou? I don't know if you remember, but remember when we had UHF channels and U sixty eight had a video show every Friday night, and that I used to see that video. It was like they're running through fields or something. Can't get there from here. I oh, remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. It's a good. I I love I love the album. I, I think. Well, so if you look at Reckoning, um, South Central Rain charted. I think and that was eighty four. Can't get there from here was a single. You heard that on the radio, and then Lobster's Pageant had Fall on Me, which is pretty big. Yeah. I think that was probably top 40, I think. But um, that, that's a great record. That was produced by Don Gaiman, who's producing John. Was he John Cougar Mellencamp there, or did he get the Cougar dropped? About what, that? Li Life's Rich Pageant? Yeah, that was Don Gaiman, yeah, right? He was, yeah. he was Johnny Cougar Mellencamp's uh, yeah. Don Gaiman, yep. So they must have recorded that in Indiana. <laughs> I don't know. No, I think they did. What, what, they what, did what, really yeah, at that what, uh, that what, studio and uh, yeah. What was Mellencamp Studio? Like little bastard sound or something? Or somewhere uh, in a Bloomington, uh, Indiana, yeah, yeah. something, right? But they they, they recorded that there, and Don Gaiman did not get Stipe. Apparently, he liked he liked the band. He liked it because he just couldn't. You know, his thing was trying to pull a vocal thing out of Stipe, but um. Well, there, there's some like you know, begin to begin. Of course, is on there, and you know, yeah, Cuyahoga. That's a nice song. Man. You know. what, what if we give it away? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's I mean, it's a, a great album. Underneath the bunker, even though that's a, that's a kind of a throwaway. 
little bit of kitsch. It's a great song. It's but you can't, you, you know, a good song is a good song, I guess. Yeah. You can't stop a good song, even if you're not happy with the production or whatever. Right. Yeah. But so now, now the next record out was Document. So that was the first produced by Scott Litton. Mark, you said that's the one that kind of got you aware, you know? Yeah. 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 But um, it's into the world. <laughs> that was a huge oh, hit. Yeah. And it, it was big. It was big production, though, but it didn't sound fake. But it was big and cranky. It was loud. It was a mm. loud record. Um, and they had a hit with uh, The End of the World as We Know It. Yeah, they had two hits off that record. The, the One I Love and That's the End of the World. And what right. about Welcome to the Occupation? That's a great song. Yeah, yeah. Exhuming McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and some esoteric stuff, too. King of Birds. Oh, oh, yeah. I am Absolutely. the king. Yep, yep. And then of course, after that, local. what's that? They were signed to Warner Brothers after that. Yeah, yeah. So well, they, they they left IRS and uh, they put out their first major label record. It was Green, nineteen eighty eight. That's the one that's got Orange Crush on it. That's the one that had Orange Crush. And, and they right, had in France, in France is Le Crush Orange. <laughs> <laughs> Le Crush Orange. <laughs> yeah, that was the album that had what's the name? The rapper on uh, pop song. Nope, that, uh, was out of, that was out of time. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yep, yep I'm mistaken. What, what, what was the name of that song? When I got to your house. Oh, oh, oh. I could radio, radio song. Radio song. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. But uh, now, Green was my first disappointing REM record because I didn't like all of the songs and I still don't like the production. I don't like it. Kind of compressed, don't you think? Yeah, it's it's small. I mean, I, yeah. I want. I guess I wanted more of document, but I, I thought sonically, it sounded really subdued. I think some of those rockier songs, uh, like I remember, California could have done so much better with more of a, a present production. Kind of weird, you know. Can I bring it back just one, a couple of notches back to Chronic Town? That's way the. That's the beginning. The beginning, right? But. Uh... So someone uh, someone wrote about it, and they called it Rickenbackers and Railroad Ties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I like that. And overlaid yeah. with a kind of fog of timelessness, a regret of lost things. I like it's a That's nice great. describe that EP, Chronic Town. It's very, it's, it's so evocative. Um, yeah. I, I, thought that was, I thought that was headed down toward Putdownville, but it's not. No, 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 not at all. Backers and railroad ties. Oh. I like that. Yeah. Man, I haven't heard that in a long time. I, you know, that that would give me a little wave of nostalgia to hear. I, I have it somewhere, I think, but uh, we don't yeah. just listen to it. But when I hear boxcars, yeah, you know, boy, I get emotional. You know, out of time. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We probably jammed to a few of those uh, those songs. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so. of course. You know, REM got bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know, world tours. And... Oh yeah, I mean, they start taking like between they put out an album every year, but between Green in '88 and um, actually they they put um, they put Green out in 1988 on Election Day, and you know, given their political leanings, there's a thing on the on the album that said, "Don't don't get bushwhacked, vote vote." Uh... <laughs> so it was an ind- endorsement for the legendary Michael Dukakis. <laughs> The, the, man, the man who would be king <laughs> with, with his little head poking out of a tank. <laughs> All right. but well, let me, I'll tell you something. Can I just tell one quick story about Michael Stipe? Yeah. For all the the imbibing I do of alcohol, I have a self-shut-off switch. So I don't ever go too far. <laughs> one of the only times <laughs> I'm going too far 
I was I, I was in a band. We were in a great blues band, and with Kevin Pauley, good friend of mine, and we were rehearsing in what was back then known as West Patterson. And I forget the name of the rehearsal studio, but it's kind of a big rehearsal studio. So we're playing, we're having a great time, and we're drinking beers, lots of beers. That's back when I liked beer. Now I like beer. Do you like beer? Yes, I like beer. We <laughs> went out a beer, and Kevin's sister came with peppermint. We started drinking the peppermint schnapps. That went uh, down really good. Uh, so I get in my car. Bye, guys. I drive home. And I felt good. I drove fine. Get home. I'm living in Westwood. Yeah, I drove from West Paris into Westwood. Perry, that's when I was living next to you. And I come upstairs. It's 1130. And, oh, Saturday Night Live's on. So it was when they put out the Monster album. And uh, they introduced R.E.M. And they were doing What's the Frequency, Kenneth. But. Michael Stipe was jumping. He was doing this jumping jack thing around the stage. All of a sudden, I noticed that his bald head was leaving streaks on the screen. And I'm like, that's weird. Is it the TV? And then, like, <laughs> five seconds, I got to hit the bathroom. Oh, my <laughs> Michael Stipe made me puke up all, all of that. <laughs> Not a good feeling. <laughs> you can let Michael Stipe know that. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it probably saved you from a really, really bad hangover. Yeah, it did. It got the poison yeah. out of your stomach. Yeah, all, that, all that sugar out. Oh, my goodness. That, oh, that's never, did. never again. Champagne and pepper and schnapps, never again. <laughs> oh. Now, now, do you guys want to move on to another great band called Wilco? Well, well before we do that, can we say one thing? You know, they, they did, after the, you know, the Out of Time, Automatic for the People was their biggest selling record. They did Monster. Um, that's when they all got health issues. Bill Berry had a double aneurysm in Luzerne, Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. New Adventures in Hi-Fi was the last record with Bill Berry. And they've done some remasters of it. It's worthy of a, a re-listening because it's got some really – the remixes are great. It's got some really good song, you know, songs. It was an overlooked album, the beginning of their sort of commercial decline. But also yeah. proves, once again, it proves once again that when your, your great drummer leaves, your band is never, ever the same. Uh, my point has proven time and time again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you. So since we're done, we're going to be done with R.E.M., can we like? I know for you guys, it's hard to ask this one, but does anyone like? Can can we all pick our personal favorite REM album? I'll start. I'll say mine, and you know, is probably automatic for the people. That's my favorite. What's okay. uh, you guys? If I had to pick one over the others, oh, it's almost a it's almost a toss up between Murmur and maybe Document. Damn, Barry. Reckoning. Nice. Harbor Coat. Seven Chinese Brothers. I'm with Sop Mitter Singh, man. And great record. Don't go back to Rockville. Yeah. Yep. Well, based on you guys talking <laughs> tomorrow, I'm just I'm taking a day off tomorrow and I'm gonna be listening to a lot of REM. <laughs> so oh by the way, Mark, uh, yeah. I just want to throw in quickly. I visited Mark, I visited you yesterday. Did you? I, I don't yeah, I know. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> And so, Lou, Mark just hands me an album. It's an REM album. Yeah. Which was it? Uh, Out of Time? Nope. nope. My wonderful son. I was telling Perry, remember I was telling you how he buys me the best presents, right? He got me the vinyl reissue of New Adventures in, in uh, I said, Wi-Fi, Hi-Fi. I said, oh, let, let me open it up because I've only ever seen the CD. Just pulling the album open and looking at the photo, like, oh, yeah, this is what it used yeah. to be about. And that was a real lost album to me because, like I said, when that album came out, I was 
commuting to Bridgeport, Connecticut every day is an hour and 20 minutes. I was pissed off. I was in music production, but I wasn't happy. So that album came out. I never gave it a chance. So by Anthony buying me that album, I rediscovered it. And that's a great album. Really good. It, it, it's got two of my favorite R.E.M. songs on it. How the West Was Won and Where It Got Us. That's their Spaghetti Western song. Heavy, yeah. Like Gold Star Reverb and um, uh, what's that song called? Not Satellite. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> I said it. Uh, electrolyte. Electrolyte. You know, yeah. Electrolyte. And um, has he eight balls a letter with Patty Smith? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of dull. But what's cool about one of the coolest things about the record is that they mentioned Binky the Clown from Shakes the Clown. Yes. <laughs> Binky the doormat. <laughs> Binky probably the what, doormat. What probably killed that album, even though Ebo the Letter, I love the song, that shouldn't have been the lead single. It no. was like, no. you know, there's so many other songs that could have it, been released. It, you know? it was very similar to Drive, which was another, yeah. that was the big first dirge from Automatic for the People. Yeah. Now, I was thinking you could take Night Swimming from uh, Automatic. It's a beautiful song, but I think you should, we could change it to Day Drinking Deserves <laughs> a Quiet Place. <laughs> Agreed. You, you, can no take a, you can almost take a dump on that one. Now, has <laughs> anyone ever heard of this band called Wilco? No. Yeah. Roger. <laughs> Roger. Yankee <laughs> Hotel Fox. Uh, <laughs> Wilco. Yes. Yes. A great American band. Absolutely great American band. Uh, Jeff Tweedy, uh, John Starrett. Yep. Well, they had, well, obviously, again, all three of us are huge fans. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, I'll leave you guys to start the conversation on Wilco. When I think I first heard Wilco through Jim, Bo- our friend Jim Bogard. It was the second album being there. I was house-sitting for Jim. In the bucolic splendor of Warwick, New York, it was such a great place. I ended up living there for a year. But I, I heard that, and the first song, Misunderstood, and everything after that, I'm like, wow, this is what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it, you know? You know, you're looking for a band. You know, I, I like having, you know, a lot of times since I had a crush on a band. You know, Orange was one. I had a crush on them for years, you know? An Orange crush. And Le Crush L'Orange. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but that record hurts so i said I, I like everything even these these weird these cast off songs where tweety's having a, a coughing fix and you know these outtakes i said it's a double album it's great and it was named after the uh the peter sellers movie uh being there with shirley mcclain yeah. so yeah yeah but, but that, that was the first that i listened i heard that and boom just loved it um and then you know, listen to the. I got the, the next the, whatever albums after was Summer Teeth. After that, well, the first one was AM. AM, but I heard that I heard that through Steve Flood, our, my old roommate Steve Flood, years later when we lived on the mountain on Mountain Avenue in Westwood, New Jersey. But I said, "Wow, this is different. This is more like Uncle Tupelo type stuff. It's alt country. Great record." Well, if I could say anything about Wilco, I would say it's just like REM. It's the evolution. They evolved. Yeah. You know, the first record, like you said, AM was, you know, a little countrified, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then they moved on with being there to like, I mean, they did like a Partridge Family pop song on there. Yeah. It, they, they also did some countryish too. They did. You know, they, yeah. They, that, that, they expanded on that record. You know, that was the beginning of the expansion. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I think what Summer Teeth was the third record. What was mm-hmm. it? Was it the one after? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, and that's when uh, I think I was working over the summer with Mark, and we played that thing to death. Very nice. 
<clears throat> that no, it's funny. That was a record. When I, I like the sound of it, but I, I read where um, in the making of that record, the other guys, Jay Bennett and Surratt and uh, Ken Coomer was the drummer, the original drummer. Yeah, yeah. And he's a great, solid, fat back, big beat drummer. You know, he's a heavy, heavy hitter. Yeah, yeah, but he's, yeah he's good at it. Um, but they started feeling alienated because that they did that record with Pro Tools. Yeah. So really? whatever, yeah, whatever they did to record, you you can hear it. It's a pretty slick sounding record for them. But um, I, I I went to a uh, beer industry event with some people I worked with at the Bottle King Hillsdale. And I said, I'm going to play you guys something. <laughs> they hated it. <laughs> I, I, I could tell there's not a response. I'm like, oh, so they're not digging. They're not digging this at all. It was just too, it was lyrically too weird for them, you know. <clears throat> but, but see, there's the thing, too. Like, some people do not understand. Like, I remember Jeff Tweedy uh, reading an interview with him. And he had to explain, like, you know, in one of the songs, like, it might have been, a, a, like, uh, She's a Jar. Yeah. She's with a heavy lid my pop quiz kid and I, she begged me not to hit her like like he had to explain like i don't beat my wife it's just yeah i know, yeah. It, 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 know? you know you don't know what the song is about so the, the, the genius of it is you don't know what that song might be about until the very last line he's like oh my god it's, he's he's an abuse he's an abuser you know he's a controller and all this stuff and but yeah. you know that that's something but you know he's he's writing it as a character but like you said you know yes absolutely yeah now I also read that I also read that on that record, the the record company was not happy with Summer Teeth. They said we don't hear a single, we don't hear a hit. Huh. So they went back in, and they recorded. Um, yes. Yep, can't stand yeah. it. They ha can't stand it. Oh, okay. Because the record company did not hear yeah. anything that was single worthy, so they went in and they added that. Wow, that that's yeah. the lead off song, isn't it? Yep, it, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, dun, 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 they purposely dun, threw dun, it on dun, dun. the uh, as a big you know fu to the record company. We're going to put the first song. You know? yeah. Well, you know something, but we'll leave it to us to say that's a great single. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it is. Didn't bother me. A, didn't bother me a bit. Uh, there's some there's some great songwriting on that. That's that's one of their best albums too. Yeah, um, yeah, but now the one now the, the the one after that, you know, that's that's where things got really interesting for Wilco. Yeah, uh, you know, it was a uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, the masterpiece, the masterpiece. The masterpiece. That's their best selling record too. Yep, I didn't. Know that's that. one of those records. Just put it on and let it go. Every song is great, it, and it, it, is. Flows. it is. It's a true album. It flows. You can't pick one song. You gotta listen to the whole album. Yeah. And if and I said even if you're if you're expecting AM, you got to be a little bit patient because the songs are very very much you get like I said those songs are all written on, on acoustic guitar, but it, you know on the the uh, the Wilco movie I'm trying to break your heart they're talking about how Jay Bennett I think is saying you know we could play these as folk songs till the end of the day, but you know is that the record we wanted to make we could have made another AM I think he might even referenced AM, but they said no, let's put some drills on it and stuff and, you know and other things and but that was also with a new drummer. Well, it might be it might, that's where it might be interesting to point out that Ken Coomer was uh, out of the band at that point, and they brought in Glenn uh, Kotchke. I can't a, pronounce a, his a, last name. A, a Kachi. Kachi. Yeah, Kachi. he's a monster. He's great. He he is great. He's a, he's a very different drummer than than Ken Coomer. He's he's very versatile. Um, you know, he he's a heavy hitter. I've seen him play live, but he, he's not a clubber. You know, it's it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a light, heavy touch he has. You know. 
He's also he's um edu- he's an educator as well, I think, as far as music and percussion. But Jeff Tweedy was smart enough to know that the the direction he wanted to go into, he couldn't have gone in that direction with Ken Coomer. On or, the yeah, and I think Jay. Well, was was Jay Bennett? Was that an ego play, maybe, or is that just something where he couldn't? They just couldn't work together. I had a discussion with Mark uh, yesterday about mm-hmm. that. Um, I am trying to break your heart documentary, and you know there were times like uh, we were saying just yesterday that uh, you know the whole band would be there, and Jeff was not there yet. And Jay would do be like a little divisive, you know, like say things about negative yeah. about Jeff, thinking that the other band members are going to play along, and they don't. They, yeah. they don't play that. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was making some snide comes about you know. <laughs> yes. Are you know, oh, we oh, waiting for Jeff to say okay? Oh, notify the press. <laughs> Jeff's coming. That, yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> little little jealousy. Little sarcastic things, and fortunately, the other guys didn't play. <clears throat> Excuse me. As any decent friend would not play along with those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the, hey, they're no dummies either. You know? <laughs> Who's not in but, the band anymore? <laughs> he's not alive anymore. <laughs> like, 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 yeah, I know. Sadly, well, like, like Michael Stipe said, goes, "Arium is a democracy, but every band has its politics." You know, I'm sure yeah. as a vocalist, there's some things he's he probably said, "I'm I can't sing that." You know, yeah. You have, if you want to have conviction as a vocalist, because, you know, the human instrument, you can't hide behind it. We, we can hide behind our guitars and drum sets. Uh, you can't hide behind your voice if you want to, you know, in his position. So, But, you know, Jeff Tweedy gives uh, like 1% of the publishing to the other guys in the band. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Now, he, I know, as singers go, he has one of those voices. Some people are going to get it. Some are not. I can listen to him sing all friggin' day. Me too. Yeah. It's, so can I. Yeah. It's. Is it a pretty voice? Fuck no, <laughs> you know. And I and I think you know maybe in a future episode we can go into Sun Vault and Jay Bennett. Yeah, and not Jay Bennett, Jay Farrar. Jay, Jay Farrar, yeah. A little quick story about uh, you know, because we know, of course, they were in Uncle Tupelo. Yeah. Right, and uh, there was um, there was uh, at the, the time they they hadn't seen each other in like ten years. You know, Wilco was successful. Sun Vault was successful. They both happen to be in the same resort in Mexico. Wow. Staying like right, you know, a few houses away from each other. <laughs> and then Jeff was like, wow. And so he's walking, he's walking down the beach and it's like, holy shit, it's, it's Jay Farrar. Oh my God. You know, and, and Jay did, Farrar did they says, fight in the sand? Did they get no, no, no. Them? Jay Farrar says, hey, how you doing? And kept walking. <laughs> Oh my god! And then they rolled in the surf like like at the end of it from here to eternity. And, and Jeff thought that he would like <laughs> we would just talk and talk about the old days of Uncle Tupelo. Yeah. And Jay just said, "Hey, how you doing?" Wow! But that's the kind of guy he is. Shit! Well, that's, that's like him saying "fuck you," you know. <laughs> now, but, when Uncle, I remember seeing Uncle Tupelo in the local New Jersey, uh, like the Aquarian East Coast rocker, and saying, "That's an interesting name for a band." And I never went to see them, you know. Yeah, uh, it would have been cool to say, but I don't even think about going to shows. I'm squirreling groups of people, especially now. <laughs> I mean, it's not about it's not even about COVID. It's about people just being too goddamn close. I I, I, I played today. I went down to I was at the uh, I started with, with a band looking for a drummer. And I think we're going to end up probably doing something. But I was in. The, it's a small place. And I walked in. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get a I'm, luckily. I'm, it was got warm outside. I'm going to get a beer and sit outside and wait for this, my set to start, you know, but it, I <laughs> 
too many people and I start feeling anxious, you know, it's just, kind of, yeah. it's just you know, you don't want to be like, look like a misanthrope, but it's just, there's just too many, too many people. Try uh, uh, Lou, try going to see like a movie, uh, that might have parents with young kids and you go alone and you're in the theater uh, sitting there. all the parents look at you like what are you doing here yeah, yeah. <laughs> but listen a, what, what's with the overcoats <laughs> listen I, I i just gotta tell my wilco story because i did not know a, a thing about wilco i never even heard of them until one fateful morning in the laundromat perry it was a summer Textile morning maintenance facility Yes. And Perry wasn't allowed to turn on the air conditioner. So it was hot as balls in there. <laughs> I remember Perry, I would lean against that table and you had handsome Dick Manitoba on the radio. <laughs> Wild kingdom. Yeah. So we're listening. And then you mentioned something about Wilco and you go, you've heard of Wilco, right? You must've seen my face. Like what, what do you think? I'm like, no, Perry, you went into I've never heard you give a speech like that ever again. Like you went into a whole thing. You don't know Wilco, you, and you just laid it out on the line for me. <laughs> so the next week you came in with uh, a copy of Summer Teeth. So the very first song that I heard from Wilco ever when I put in my CD player was Can't Stand It. And I went, holy shit, this is like perfect. This is like so good. But then kind of like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, the, the whole album just flowed. I was like, I was hooked. And um, and this is where, like, I have ways of reacting to music. So I react to the Stones for one reason. I react to prog rock for another reason. It's more of a symphonic thing. I look at Wilco. I have those progressive feelings with them. I, I think that, that Jeff Tweedy, he never sat still. Every album was something <clears throat> different, and he progressed. Yeah. And in fact, Absolutely. And Perry, if you look at yeah, I'm sorry. Now, you listen to like the newest band, that guy, oh, the guitar player, Nels, Nels or Nels? Nels Klein. Nels Klein. When they put out The Whole Love, that album, that album was like, I was like, I feel like I'm listening to Yes is Close to the Edge. Like, it was a great, great album. So they're just incredible. I mean, yeah. So I'm new. I'm like, you guys got them before me. But I, I like every single Wilco album. There's not one album I don't like. It took me a while to get into A Ghost is Born. It took me about a year. Um, but I think like Sky Blue Sky, there's a couple songs where Nels sounds. Yes, he's doing yeah. solos. I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> there's, there's a couple songs that I record have a Pink Floyd feel. With, yes, with the keyboard. Um, yes, that's right. Um, that you know that was so. So they was woke up at Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. That was 2001, right? Yes. So so that was a record that they got dropped, and they they resold it to Warner Brothers. A famous story. Where they actually sold it twice to the same record company and didn't lose any money. Um, but then the next record after that was 2004. That was um, Ghost is Born. Ghost is Born. They won. They won two Grammys for that record. Yeah. Now, that record, I like it. But at that point, I was like, Ah, the Wilco sounds getting a little something on me. I don't know. I like that record, but it was very. There's something about it just didn't sit quite right with me. Um, the next record was, yeah. I think, was Scott was Sky Blue Sky. I'd see now me and Perry disagreed on that album. Remember Perry? I loved it from the day it came out and it took you a long Sky time. Sky? Yeah. Okay. I loved it. And you had made me a copy of it. And I said, I don't like it. Yeah. Now, now the, the first song, um, I can't think of it. It's, it's a, it's a love song, but either yeah. way, either way. And that's the song yeah. with the Steve. Uh, uh, yeah. Right. You guys are colliding. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 
Hello. I'm here. So I learned to love Sky Blue Sky. It took a while, but I learned to love that record. A, a reviewer said that the guitar solo on the first song, either way, is it could be on the Weather Channel. <laughs> <laughs> now you're Weather on the Ace, and here comes the guitar solo. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, Lou, because that's the song that I felt. That sounded like Steve Howe to me. But um, yeah, it when did, I it exactly. Yeah, and when I go into my local shop right here in Pearl River, um, Impossible Germany is always on the radio in Shoprite. It was like, yeah. you know, we'll go. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard, th- I've heard that too. That's wild. You know that that album when that came out, that album is kind of it's a personal story. It's the soundtrack to my divorce. I, mm. I was going through divorce at that time, the separation. Some of those songs, the themes, I'm like, I'm I'm doing alone. I'm cleaning the house. I'm taking care of two children. You know, <laughs> I'm almost a 50 year old man. You know, <laughs> you know like wow. <laughs> But some of those things, I'm like, you know, talking to her mom. I, her mother and I used to talk. I mean, there's one song he calls her mother. I'm like, holy shit, how dare you? I was almost, I was almost pissed off. You know, it was, it was a painful time. And on that record, it became kind of painful. But I mean, as, as good as the songs really are. But that was the first record I said, wow, they're slick now. They're really, really slick. But, yeah. you know, but it was, it was kind of slick in a, in a way. But the playing is, is amazing. And the guitar, the guitar work on that record is amazing. But isn't that a great thing about music is the fact that it can, you know, it can evoke these emotions and it take you back yeah. to, to a time and, you know, and feeling a certain way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, and sometimes, you know, I, it's weird. sometimes I don't like it because I, I don't want to I don't want to look back too much. But, you know, you want to think ahead, especially in these days, as we you know, we're, we're not younger guys anymore, but. You know, you got to do it sometimes. You know, when um, Sot Mitter sent me the uh, that REM book, It Crawl from the South, I never read it because I was not an REM thing. I didn't want to go back there. But in the last couple of months, I actually started listening to these REM records, including the very last one, Collapse Into Now, which is a really good record. They ended it, on a great note. It know? really is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, but what was I going on about? <laughs> no, you go back and like now it's time for me to listen to the latter rec- Wilco records. Because I kind of lost them about several years ago. I, I stopped. It just they didn't interest me anymore. But um, last year they were they were playing in Asheville. They were playing at the Salvage Station. I bought tickets. It got rescheduled, and it was a pain in the backside because it, they rescheduled on my birthday, and I had something to do. And at that point, I said I had made plans, you know, ahead of time. So I I canceled on the show. I couldn't get my money back. But in a way, I wasn't disappointed. In a way, I said, you know, sometimes I've seen bands live and. I'm good for about a half hour, 45 minutes, and I want to leave. Not because I don't like the music, because it's, it's I don't like people, you know? <laughs> I agree. I agree. You're not a misanthrope. I know. I'm, no, I, actually, I, I like people. I just like them. You know, six, I like that six feet apart thing. I don't really like that. <laughs> so you're, all, you're a casualty of the COVID, I guess. Yeah, really. Six feet away from me, you're going six feet under, man. <laughs> Well, anyway, the, the the Wilco, I mean, the evolution of Wilco, and like you know, in their, I've kind of lost track of them too. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know what, my son Anthony, he became a Wilco fan in the last five years, so he's been telling me about the Star Wars Wilco. Oh, that's Odin, right. Yeah. And he, he picked up big on Tweety. He went and bought the Tweety's book, and so he's. It's funny, this new generation is that he loves the Schmilko, he loves the Star Wars albums, and that's like where it hits him. So obviously it hit him in a way. I haven't listened to those albums. I, I kind of feel like what I heard was like, they're not 
it's not a bad thing. They're not progressing, but maybe that's not a bad thing. It's like they're happy where they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, something's going to happen. They're going to put out an album that's going to be different. I, I, I don't know, maybe Tweety will uh, shake up the band again. I don't know where they're going, but he seems to be happy playing with his son, uh, doing those albums and yeah. stuff. You know? he's, he's playing with his two sons, actually. Well, he did say, he did say, Jeff Tweedy did say that um, he can, this, he gets this band can handle lineup changes. Yeah. He said, except for the bass player, John Starrett. He yeah. said, if Starrett is not in the band, I don't know that there will even be a Wilco anymore. Wow. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah. Starrett um, is the Michael Anthony of uh, Wilco. <laughs> <laughs> they've, had the, they've had the same lineup since 2004. That's a long time. That's almost 20 years with the same same group of people. Mm. Yeah. I mean, 2001 was Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And I mean, uh, Glenn, uh, Glenn has been the drummer since then. Yeah. And a couple of people have come and gone, though. Um, I forgot the guy's name, Leroy Bach. Yeah. Uh, there, there's another keyboard. Mike guy. Jorgensen? Uh, I think he's still in the band, I think. Yes. And uh, Nels Klein is another, Pat Sansone. Pat Sansone. Yeah. Who, by the way, has a side project called Autumn Defense with oh, John wow. Barrett. Oh, I yeah, yeah. Record. And it's a very nice little record, kind of remind you know, reminiscent of like America and those type of things. I love that shit. Yeah. Yep. I wrote an American song. Oh, and speaking of that, there's an REM Wilco connection because, like, say, the Minus Five, they have these side projects, right? Yeah. And, and the Minus Five, Peter Buck is in there, and Jeff Tweedy is in there, and, wow. you know, you, you know um, who's the guy that was in the um, the Posies, who, um, who's, like, the main guy? Scott McCoy? Scott McCoy, yeah. Scott McCoy and those kind of you know they're like a roving band of musicians that yeah. come out, and there, there are some of them are kind of sidemen in a lot of ways. Yeah, and yeah, guys. From what was that big group? They were really big in the nineties, and then they 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 kind of faded away, and they were back to the bars. Replacements? No, the Georgia Satellites. <laughs> no, 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 no. They were. <laughs> Talk about a one-hit wonder, baby. <laughs> but, uh, I was I was hanging out with Mark the other day, and I we we punched up Loose Fur on the spot. Oh. Yeah, that's, really, that's a great band. Guys from Wilco and uh, Jim O'Rourke. Okay, uh, Jim O'Rourke. He's a producer as well. And he was he was he was supposedly producing and mixing Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and Warner Brothers fired his ass. Oh wow! Well, didn't he produce REM one of their latter albums? Uh, you know, I don't know. Hmm. I'd like to hear something from Bill Berry. I know it's an REM thing, but you know, I mean, he he retired. He retired, kind of stayed low. He'd come over, he got no, he's gotten up with REM a few times. But I always maintained if REM ever got together again, they would probably do it just for one song, and they would do it for charity. Sure, they would not do it to recon, like you know. Bands like U2 conquer the world. Yeah. REM didn't want to conquer the world. But wouldn't it be cool if they got the, the four got back together again and did make a smash album? Uh, Which I, once I, again I, proves the point. I, I when your drummer leaves the song. <laughs> What's that? Michael Stipe has a new record out. He does. I, I haven't heard it. I've heard two songs from it. It's, it's actually pretty good. You know, it's, yeah. You know what? He's got, you know what? That could be the, lead into rem coming back together i know they're going to come back i know it we all know it no they are not you don't think so no. all right if Harry, they do, the they'll get together for one song for charity 
for some charity. That's it. Or, right. or, or maybe something for like, you know, they would get together for like a Ukrainian relief thing or something, you know, or it's like, they, it's like for like, it's, they may not necessarily record a single for a charity, but to do some kind of event, you know, whether it's a live performance or a recording, who knows, but uh, yeah. you know, they, they split amicably. Um, you know what I mean? And so I think that it, it's always a possibility. I don't think they felt, you know, I think that, I think that they did what they did. They laid it to rest for a good reason. You know, they, they were on the down. That, well, that, that's the thing. When they say some of the records didn't sell well in the United States. But internationally, you know, internationally, they probably sold trillions. Of, these are platinum records and stuff. But it's outside our own country. We don't, you know, paying attention, though, what's going yeah. on. You, um, uh, to, uh, after their second to last album, uh, Accelerate, they recorded a live DVD in Dublin. If you saw that crowd, uh, they were playing in front of a huge amount of people. Yeah. And it was it was great because all they did was like really old stuff on that DVD. Yeah. But yeah, they are they're bigger around the world. It's like kind of like a Queen thing, you know? <laughs> sure. Or a lot of bands, you know. Um, we're big in Japan. So now I think for now Generation Joneses like me and Perry, we would love that. Uh, so uh, you're a Gen Xer, I think, Mark, aren't you? Uh, I was born in 1969. I have no idea. I'm a Woodstock guy, I guess. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, I think that's like Generation X. I think. Okay. Yeah, so you're. Oh, we're yeah. a bunch of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said people born between fifty-eight and sixty-four. It's a murky. It's this baby boomer Gen X mix. It's undefined, you know. But uh, they they've named it Generation Jones. Obama said he was the first Generation Jones president. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, cool. So, so guys, we spent a lot of time on these two bands. Hey, Perry. We wanted, we wanted to talk about a guitar player, did we not? Yeah, we did. Ingve Malmsteen. <laughs> well, no, he's Scalapini guitar now. Close. Michael Bernard Bloomfield. Mike Bloomfield. Mike Bloomfield. From Bloomfield, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually from Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. Home of, well, doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that figure? Yep. And he was he was the guitar player on Bob Dylan's uh, Highway 61 Revisited. A classic record. Yeah, yep. And he played on "Like a Rolling Stone." That's him on guitar. Yeah, God, and that—that's enough. That's enough to make your career. Yep. But you know when um, when uh, when Dylan played in '65 at the Newport Folk Festival and went electric. Yep. Paul uh, Mike Bloomfield was the uh, guitar player. And I've seen the film. I mean, this guy was on fire. Yeah. They were playing like Maggie's Farm and, and songs like that. And his backing band, Dylan's backing band was the Paul Butterfield Blues Band on stage. Right. <clears throat> minus Paul Butterfield. Right, right. It was um, Harvey Brooks on bass. Right? Yes. Yep. Was, it, was it Sandy Konikoff on drums, maybe? I think you might well, be right. Is that yeah. or Bobby Gregg or something like that? But these, I think a lot of them made it onto the Highway 61 record. But um, yeah, apparently it's, it's a blue, a Bloomfield. His playing was incendiary. He was on fire. There you absolutely. Have it, yeah. yeah, they they uh, in fact, um, he, he, uh, unbelievable how he played. They they uh, someone described it as you know his his instrumental prowess has yeah. rarely been seen. Uh, it says it's really been heard on record. Um, Al, Al, Al Cooper, you know, we know Al Cooper, uh, as you know, he was the keyboardist 
who bullshit yeah. his way onto uh, like a Rolling Stone. But he said, with, he goes, you know, his, his producer his, you were talking about, Tom Wilson. Yeah. 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 And yeah, produced by Tom Wilson. Yeah. yeah. And, but he, he goes, he goes, his live, he goes, his live playing. He goes, if I could get that on, on tape, you know, because that would be what household name. But apparently, Bloomfield was one of the first instrumental superstars of the early 60s. You know, he was, you know, he got signed by John Hammond, the legendary John Hammond of Columbia Records. He signed yeah. him, I think, to Epic. But, you know, but as a kid, you know, as you know, I mean, he played with a lot of Chicago blues legends. He was a white Jewish kid. Um, yeah. I, now, I, when I found my Rolling Stone Encyclopedia Rock and Roll, uh, since, since I moved, I've unpacked all my rock books and found things I didn't know I had or forgot I had. Um, you know, he was mentioned by a lot of the black players. They said, this kid got it. He has it. He feels it. Um, he, he paralleled the struggle between the blacks and Jews as uh, the fulcrum for the blues. He said, you know. You know, his quote was, you know, the blacks have suffered externally in America. The Jews have suffered internally. But it's the same emotion that it brings out um, that he said. And that's what gave him the legitimacy amongst the, the real the, the African-American blues. Wow. Origins, you know, really well, origins of the blues. I mean, come on. Well, it says here in the ni- in the early 1960s, he met harmonica player and singer Paul Butterfield and guitarist Elvin Bishop. Yeah. <laughs> With whom he would later play in the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Elvin Bishop. Yeah. All right. What's Elvin Bishop's big hit? It's a hit. Fooled around and fell in love. Right on. Okay. With, with who? With who's singing? Uh, the guy Mickey from Thomas. Jefferson Starship. Mickey Thomas. Right. You did it. Yeah. That got yeah. him the gig. I did not know that. Yep. If you listen to the fool, I must have been through it. Then listen to Jane. Yeah. It's the same voice. Yeah. <laughs> So, so let me read a little bit more. It says in, ni- in June 1965, Bloomfield had recorded with Bob Dylan, whom he had met in 1963 at a Chicago club called The Bear. The club was bankrolled by future Dylan and Butterfield manager Albert Grossman, who yeah. had a major part in Bloomfield's career. Bloomfield's Telecaster licks were featured on Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone, yeah. a single produced by Columbia Records' Tom Wilson. No. And of course, he uh, uh, Bloomfield would play most of the tracks on Dylan's '65 Highway uh, '61 Revisited, and he also appeared with Dylan in that July, a couple of I mean, a month or so later, where Dylan used uh, the Butterfield Blues Band. They said the show marked Dylan's first electric band live performance, and Bloomfield's playing on the songwriter's Maggie Farm is considered a landmark electric guitar performance. Wow, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was stinging when you see that film. If you if you guys, anybody who's listening, looks it up, hmm. find, uh, you know, the um, from 1965 Newport Folk Festival with Paul Butterfield playing guitar. And he would blow you away. That was Dylan rattling the bars of his cage to his audience, saying, "You know, come on." I'll, that I'll, was Dylan evolving. I'm, yeah, I'm getting yeah. out. I'm, I'm busting yeah. loose of the of the folk scene, which you know yeah. was thing. But you know, now so now Newport. So that was so that was after the band, right? Band, I think it was before, in wasn't it? Before? No, Wait, this was, is before. This is 1965. I, well, I thought so. The band played with him in '66. He's 66. The next year, Bloomfield was not there. Robbie Robertson was playing guitar. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so the band was not his. I expect they, they, some of them played on Blonde on Blonde, I think. Um, I don't think they played on Highway 61. I don't think. I'm not, I'm not right. sure. Yeah. So, so after, after so the new, he, he played Newport as a show. And then when he took a show on the road, 
he used the band. Or the Hawks. They were the Hawks. Yeah. yeah maybe, yeah. Yep. Okay. But now he, he was also um yeah, he was in the uh the, the electric flag and was in sixty sixty six or something like that. I think after the Butterfield Blues band, he uh, formed with Harvey Brooks, uh was the uh, electric flag. Another thing, they were pretty good. I heard some stuff of theirs. I mean, he was a great guitar player, a great rhythm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Real funky rhythm as a guitar player. But, you know, he's voted, you know, he's always voted one of the best guitar players of all time. Rolling Stone, the one you gave me, was the 22nd best, then he went to 42 and stuff like that. But he's very influential. But on the last waltz, when Muddy Waters is up there doing Manish Boy, you know, that's Butterfield playing that note that how he does, he must be breathing through his ears because he, that note goes throughout the whole friggin' song. He does not Butter- stop yeah. playing the whole. But that's Mike Bloomfield going. Dur, 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 dur. Wait, going, Bloomfield yeah. was Bloomfield was in the last waltz. I think that's him on guitar. Damn, I didn't know that. <laughs> he's, the, he's the guy with the curly hair. It's what they might say. A okay. bro. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> was that wrong? No, that wasn't wrong. Not that people have used that. Don't get on my shit. No, no, no. I have many friends of that faith that say the same thing. So it's okay, Lou. It's okay. Well, you know how things, you know how things are today. No. Um. You know, I I come to this I come to this not knowing Bloomfield so much. Perry said to me yesterday, you know, I was like, oh, we're talking Bloomfield. I never caught on to him. Hmm. So tonight before the show, of course, I'm doing my last minute research as I'm a slacker. um, I got a video of him with Paul Butterfield in like 1971. And he's playing. And it's interesting because the bass player was a guy named John Kahn who ended up with Jerry Garcia and Jerry Garcia band till the day he died. So I was like, wow, you know, but mm. Butterfield played, this is this, I, I gonna try and get this across, but every solo he played in this video that I saw, it wasn't like single notes. He was doing um, solos that were chords, you know, going up and down the neck with a couple fingers. I find that to me is far harder to do than just wanking on a 12 bar blues on the pentonic scale. Mm. Going up there with your two or three fingers and going, dan, 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 you know, mm-hmm. and he's just amazing. Amazing. He's playing a big old 335. He wasn't playing mm-hmm. on the ball. And wow. he sounded great. He sounded awesome. I, I got to play in 1967, uh, 335. A friend of mine has it. Wow. I'm not a guitar player. I'm not a guitarist, you know, but I can tell us that this thing, and it's, it's 1967. It's been played by him since 1967. What a guitar. Yeah. What an instrument. Wow. Well, it's, As not Perry cum- knows. it's not cumbersome either. It's just not cumbersome no. at all. Well, Perry Perry knows I had one and I lost it. I know. But it was a family member. <laughs> it's your uncle. <laughs> well, I saw I saw G. E. Smith interviewed one time and he was he was playing Mike Bloomfield's Telecaster. Wow. Wow. It's it's there and someone cut it away. I, 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 you know, you know what a tele, the shape of a Telecaster is. Someone cut it because whoever had it after Mike Bloomfield was a left-handed guitar player, huh. so they cut that flat, rounded part, and now it's sort of like a double cutaway. But it's it, because he was left-handed, so now it's back, and it's um, and it's still it's still a Telecaster technically, even though someone cut it. Yeah. But there's a video out there somewhere on YouTube with G.E. Smith playing this guitar, and it's got that bite. It's got that thing, you know, when you plug it in through, uh, I guess, a Fender amp 
yeah. Get, you know, whatever it, it may be. It stings. It's stinging. It does. It does. It still has it's that bite. Beef. Yep. Um, hey, guys. Does, does it look like an SG? Uh, it kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Kinda, does, well, it's does, not, it's not, a, it's not, they're not both like a Stratocaster or anything like that, but someone cut it. And, uh, but the guitar is still, it, the guitar still exists. It's kind of interesting. If you, if you look it up on YouTube with uh, GE Smith playing Mike Bloomfield's Telecaster, uh, it's quite interesting. So now, now this is, a, this is, well, Mike Bloomfield died in 81. So this is a posthumous thing. Oh, absolutely. In fact, yeah. it, he did a tour with Dylan in 1980. Mike Bloomfield, Dylan went up. Really? Dylan's a troubadour. Obviously, he's going to die on the road. Mm. Him and Willie Nelson, you he's know. Playing, he's playing Asheville next week. Really? Yeah, I didn't know until uh, yesterday. I heard on the radio. He's playing the Civic Center. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and in 1980, he had Bloomfield back with him. And, of course, Mike Bloomfield died in 81. Yeah. And but but uh, Bloomfield had an impact through his work with Al Cooper, who also, of course, we all know, played that organ on Like a Rolling Stone. Yeah. A great story that you were telling Lou about how he uh, kind of tricked Tom Wilson into getting in there. He, he bullshat his way onto a session. <laughs> and, and Tom Wilson, you hear you hear the tape of Tom Wilson over the uh, over the mic, you know, over the uh, microphone saying, what are you doing in there? What are you... <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, now, uh, Al Cooper also founded Blood, Sweat and Tears. Yes. Yep. yep. So he's on the but first also, record. It, it says here that Al Cooper became an A&R man for Columbia Records. And Bloomfield and Al Cooper had played piano on Moby Grapes, 1968 Grape Jam, an instrumental album that had been packaged with the group's Wow collection. So there's a recording out there with Al Cooper and Mike Bloomfield playing on a Moby Grape record from 1968. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But no, so what, what was the record they did? Cooper and Bloomfield. You there? Yeah, I'm there. Uh, it was the, the Super Session record. Really? Yeah, that, that was the thing they did after that. It was produced by Al Cooper. But uh, most people know that Stephen Stills played a lot of guitar on it. Al, uh, Bloomfield played for one day, but played on several tracks. But he's credited on it. Um, but I say he has, apparently, the story is that he has a chronic insomnia, so he stayed for one day, and I guess he got kind of wiggy. And, and, but played on you know, a lot of slide guitar on it. But he played on about five tracks, I think. But, um, you know, the thing was, the, the Electric Flag, the band before that was um, Bloomfield, Harvey Brooks, and Buddy Miles on drums. Yeah. Yep. And there was a lot of heroin use on that, right? You know, that, that band broke up just for dissolution because of personalities, but a lot of, a lot of heroin use. And that's, the, that's one of the things underneath this whole story is that, you know, he was a user, you know. Yeah. Just, well, like, just it, like Butterfield. It, it, it says here, Bloomfield died in San Francisco on February 15, 1981. He was found seated behind the wheel of his car with all four doors locked. Was he strapped in? According to police, an empty Valium bottle was found on the car seat, but no suicide note was found. The medical examiner who performed the autopsy ruled the death accidental. <laughs> now, that's like those pharmaceutical things. Certain fatal events may occur. There's no real answer there. <laughs> Bloomfield's, you may end up in the car. 
Bloomfield's last album was called Cruisin' for a Bruisin'. Was released wow. on the day of his death, was announced. How ironic. Yeah. So that's kind of an unsolved thing, though, you know? Yeah. But, but, but what a guitar player this guy was. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So now, I, it's funny. Now he was a true blues man, according to people who know. I mean, he played with Howlin' Wolf. Yeah. You know, yeah. A lot of Chicago legends. But I saw, <laughs> I saw a George Carlin thing the other night because I needed some, need some comedy. And he's talking about, he goes, white people should never play the blues. And he went on a tirade about it. And yeah. it's hysterical because it was George Carlin. But I was like, yeah, you're right about some things. But I think that, that's, a, that's a contested argument right there. No, no, I think he was talking about, like, like Bruce Willis, you know. Those <laughs> not, uh, he was, but he said no white people ever. He, said, he, he made it clear no white person should ever try to play the blues. Yeah, but wasn't he talking about, like, celebrities? Like no, Dad no. But he, and, he, uh, he mentioned that, but he prefaced he went further by saying, like, almost without exception, you know. But you know what? He was talking about entitlement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know what? It's funny. It's ironic because back in the 60s and the 50s, blues players were getting no respect in the United States. But in England, they loved them. And yeah. it was because of the blues that we have the Rolling Stones and we have so many Ab- good. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 American R&B, even the Beatles as well. Uh, the Osley brothers, they didn't, you know, they heard, they heard the same stuff, you know, different type of band. They were more of a pop band, but the same thing. Yeah. They all listened to that. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know what? England, I mean, in the fifties, they were coming out of world war two. They got decimated. They got destroyed and they, you know, it, it, it's a whole different culture. And that opened up to me when I read the book on the who about how Roger Daltrey was growing up, like when he was three years old, they were growing up in rubble. And they had nothing. They were eating potatoes every day. And that's like something different than here. So it, it just goes to say, you know, like maybe the blues appealed to them a little more. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> There's a certain suffering. And, you know, like a, like a lot of music did, you know, a lot of Calypso, all kinds of shit. Came. Anything yeah. that the sailors and merchant marines brought over, they devoured. But, you know, that's, that's, that's our great contribution to the world, isn't it? Right. Exactly. Um, you know, we, we, yeah. we, we invented the bomb and dropped it on people twice, you know, so. <laughs> We gave you the blues and rock and roll, so piss off, you know. And jazz. <laughs> and jazz. That's, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So music, yeah, yeah. Well, we're at 70 minutes, guys, so uh, it was a good show, I thought. We we had some good subjects going on here, right? Can I add one more thing to the Mike uh, Bloomfield of thing? Of course you can. Yeah. All right. I saw a concert poster from 1973. Uh, it was in Indianapolis at some convention or civic center, and the lineup was Rare Earth, right? Get ready. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And uh, Ario Speedwagon. You're kidding. Wow. No. <laughs> the next one, check this out. Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> Not done. Iggy and the Stooges. Damn. <laughs> the, the Mike Bloomfield Band. And finally, <laughs> Captain Beyond. <laughs> Hello, who? <laughs> I know that. <laughs> How's that? So you got like a white arm. You got a white R&B soul band. Uh, are your speedwagon with like Midwestern heartland rock? Blue Oyster Cult, some weirdness from Long Island. Iggy and the Stooges were some dirt from like Michigan, and uh, the Mike Bloomfield from Chicago Blues and Captain Beyond. Who knows? I thought it was when I first saw it. I thought it was Captain Beefheart, but no, it's, it's Captain Beyond. But that's something to look up. So the next time we get together, I'm gonna let you guys know about Captain Beyond. And what, what year was this? 73. 73. So this was REO pre-Kevin Cronin? Uh, I don't know. Who knows? 
Yeah, I don't know. Was it pre-Gary Richrath or Alan Gratcher? No, I think Gary Richrath was probably the original <laughs> guitar player. Was, uh, you know, Kevin Cronin quit, and they had one album with another singer, and he came back. It's kind of uh, weird. Yeah. He quit the band. Uh, they he got yeah. another singer. Uh. <laughs> well, he, he wrote those big corporate hits for them, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, High Fidelity, that's like their album. Was that album of the year in 1980? <laughs> yeah. It oh, was, man. It, it was oh, huge. God. And that album is a good example of too much reverb. Too much reverb. Oh. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. The, 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 Mark, the crust stick on the snare. The crust stick. Yeah. Click, 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 click. <laughs> now, I, I understand that the guys, uh, Stipe, Barry, Buck, and Mills, are going get to get together with them and, and form REM Speedwagon, like a super group. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wanted to start a cover group, didn't we, Lou, called the REM Mainters? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was no, it wasn't a cover band. It was an original band, but the idea was to be behind REM in the record bin. So they saw REM, <laughs> then they saw the remainders, which is the, I took that from the Asia business plan because Asia, the reason I, I read they chose the name Asia, it's short, it's memorable, and it's the first thing you see when you walk into a record store if they go alphabetical in the record bin. <laughs> now, Mark, Mark, I gotta say, I, I looked at um, there's a book Perry. I guess maybe you get these to me. There's this little pocket books. The best-selling songs of the 60s, 80s, blah, blah. In preparation for the podcast, I was looking at the 80s. R.E.M. does not have any of the best-selling records of the 80s. Really? But, but, but Asia, Asia has one, and it's, a, it's big. It was like number 20, the 22nd or 23rd maybe best-selling record of the 80s. Wait, 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 Lou. Is Zebra on there? Uh, they had the best-selling. They, they, they knocked Thriller out of the number one place. Well, Zebra, Zebra had the best-selling <laughs> debut album of all time. That's what sure. I... That's what I'm always No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're pulling it. Come on, really? Well, you know what? Listen to the first album. It's a fucking classic, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I, should listen to, I should listen to more songs than the ones I know. You're, you're, you know I, yeah. I, I, I'm going to do that out, out, of, out of respect for your opinion. I, I'm going to do that. First album, Zebra, Zebra. Lou, I'll send you down a CD. Don't worry about it. I'll send you a CD. It's the connection between 70s and 80s. It was 70s hard rock coming into the 80s. Right? Yeah, okay. Um, All right, I, Nick, let me get yeah. one more thing in, guys. Yeah. You guys got to talk about your favorite group site. So not the next show, but at some point in the future, can we please do a Porcupine Steve Wilson show? Is it possible? <laughs> possible? <laughs> Was it Porcupine who? Porcupine Tree. That's my favorite band. Oh, is it Prague? Yeah. Well, I'll see. I'll email you. Uh, most people don't know about him, but Steve Wilson actually played in your neck of the woods. He played at that uh, club, his last tour. I was texting you about that. I was like, "Hey, he's in he's in Asheville." You know, oh, right, right, okay. Yeah. Well, well today on the on the way to the uh, my Sunday uh, music morning gig, I heard a um a Dream Theater song, the uh, the Alien. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was good. It was good. I mean, it's, it's heavy. It's 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 pretty slippery, but it, it's really really good. Now we were talking about whether. You like them better than Rush, et cetera, et cetera. So I need to hear more Dream. I, I was impressed, but I need to hear more Dream Theater. Think about Dream Theater. Yeah. A lot of people are put off by the vocalist, um, James LeBray. You know, he's like, ah, you know, doing all that. But uh, they're just, they're really good. They're they're a family. They're, they're kind of like, you know, these bands that are families that, that stick together. And they've always stuck together. And then uh, the keyboardist lives up by me in New City. And they've always been kind of a local thing. And, they opened for Zebra. I saw them over for Zebra back in the day. And, you know, it's like, God bless. They're probably the biggest prog band out there right now because prog isn't that popular. But they mm -hmm. can sell out Beacon Theater. So they're doing something right. Cool. 
Yeah. Well, you know, the great thing is that there's plenty of room for everything out there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Room yeah. for everything. I mean, on my ride to work, I I, I skip the channels. It's uh, you know, it's seventies, sixties. There's current stuff, and there's a lot of the classic, the deep cuts, all these other oddball bands. That, you know, who no one plays Uriah Heap anymore, but I'll hear a couple of Uriah Heap songs a couple times a month. And yeah. then, and then you got the metal, the prog channels. Like I heard. I heard like uh, was it uh, Mastodon and I heard Dream Theater in the same day. Um, uh-huh. Now Mastodon, you know they're a metal band from Atlanta. I worked with their dad. I hired their dad. Uh, I met him. The drummer. Did you really? Yep. Yeah, when I was with you at the store, I met him. Oh my god. Yeah. You were the, you were there when he when Brondella was there. Because he he said I was talking to him. You you guys were talking. And he said. Yeah, my son's in a band. You may have heard of a Macedon. I was like, "Holy shit!" I oh, never yeah. heard them, but I knew the band. Oh, no, you, you, you met Bill, his father, but not not his son. No, I met his oh, father. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, his son came into the apartment. I'm cool guy. Now he's now I, I got some. I can't say a name, but I got some gossip. Uh, he's fr- he's really friends with a very well known metal drummer who's known for being difficult, and is the son of a very famous famous drummer. <laughs> I can't say it right now, but I've I've heard some horrible stories about the guy. Like, uh, oh, is 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 he um is his last name start with a B? No, it doesn't. It starts with a W. Okay. Starts with a W. I'll text you guys after the podcast to see. But <laughs> well, I, I was like, wow! I said, holy crap! This that's bad. That's some bad stuff. But oh, now I'm being a little passive aggressive there, but tough. Well, cool. guys, we're at 77 minutes. So what do you guys want to do? You want to? Are you going to bed now, Perry? Yeah, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> Perry, hey Perry. Can I do this like a quick little tribute to Mike Bloomfield? Sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. Cool, man. Mike Bloomfield. So let's just say good night and, uh, you know, and uh, I'm going to check out and I'm just going to let What a Day Number Nine, written by my by Luke Colicchio and myself, play out and uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. Music Podcast at gmail.com. Oh, thank you, Lou. Yep. Got it. Have a good night. Have a good night. All right. Bye. See ya. <laughs>